Get that can stuff! This is real! This is live! This is fresh! This is WCW Nitro! This isn't history! This is history in the making! I'm Eric Bischoff along with Steve Mongo McMichael and Bobby the Brain Heenan and we are good to go if you know what I mean. Well, let me tell you one thing, Bischoff. We are classified as a force of nature now, baby. There's tornado watches outside. There's a nitro watch inside. We're hot and we're ready to go, Weasel. And what I'm interested in is if Hulk Hogan will choke like the shark Greg Norman did at the Masters. Can he do this by himself? Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me, as ever, is my broadcast partner, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? Ah, finally back with the big boys play, where everything is fresher, and (laughs) it's liver, and... Oh, it's man. as real as it gets. Yeah, after spending a week with that canned stuff, I'm looking <laughs> forward to not seeing history. I'm looking forward to seeing history in the making. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, what a weird little intro from Bischoff. <laughs> I really hate that he said this is real. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, A, it's not, but B, whenever I'm watching wrestling, I don't want to hear the words real or fake at all. Right. Like, just let me believe and don't fuck with that at all. That's <laughs> That's sacred. That's my right as a wrestling fan. Yeah, I, d- I don't want to turn on like a like a television, like a drama or something like that and have them being like, by the way, this story is real. Yeah, what if Dexter was like, forget those canned episodes, <laughs> this one's real. And then he's like, they try to make us think he really stabs a guy. <laughs> Actually, I would love that episode. I don't know. <laughs> the more I describe that, the more it sounds amazing. Anyway, today is April 15th, 1996, and we are in Charleston, West Virginia, in front of 8,040 fans, 6,381 of whom paid for a total gate of $67,152, which is even more incredible when you consider that the tornado watch that Mongo referred to in our intro there is real. There is actually some severe inclement weather in the area right now, and uh, these people still showed up, and they are fucking hot all through this show yeah this crowd like wcw should have moved to west virginia because this <laughs> crowd is incredible i mean they they must have heard the uh that the nitro watch was was on <laughs> yeah that was a great line by mongo <laughs> uh before we get into it too much though i want to remind you uh that you can find us on facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro you can follow us on twitter at 20 years of nitro you can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com you can find us on piledriverwrestling.net in the OSW podcast section and Dave guess this. what I've got a fucking secret for you what is it you can also find us on the freaking awesome network what at freaking awesome network.net amazing as you may recall from our last Nitro episode back on April 1st, the Booty Man and Hulk Hogan defeated Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan, but a post-match beatdown led to the Booty Man challenging them again, only this time with a secret stipulation that he whispered to Hogan. They both acted like it was a diabolical and amazing plan that would change the face of wrestling forever. Right. <laughs> so when we come to the show this week, uh, as we get a wide shot of the arena, you can see that Sullivan and Arn are already pacing in the ring, and American Maid plays almost right away, signaling the appearance of the Hulkster. Yeah, I. if you listened last week when we were doing the Monday Night Raw, I had talked about the uh, the infamous jobber entrances. Yes. And uh, we get one to start off the show with Arn Anderson and Taskmaster. And I kind of feel like that Arn Anderson is pretty much the champion of the jobber entrances. He has had so many of them since we started i remember like his cage match he was in the cage already by the time yeah <laughs> and it's a damn shame because it robs us of an entrance with a uh, woman looking fantastic and liz looking awkward which we <laughs> normally get when these guys come out and, and to see if uh if they're interested in like hyping up arn anderson or not or if arn's <laughs> gonna be weird about them spinning <laughs> so what was the uh, secret stipulation referred to back on the april 1st nitro Well, WCW fans wouldn't actually have to wait long, as on the April 6th episode of Saturday Night, the Booty Man revealed that the stipulation would be that the winning team 
gets five minutes alone with the manager of their choice of the losing team. That means that the booty man is essentially saying that if Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan win, they can have five minutes alone with his girlfriend, the booty babe. Yeah. To do what? Yeah. Rape her? I I guess, right? I mean, right? I I, I mean... (laughs) I, I think I think there's some very bad things that are implied there. The the best case scenario is they're very mean for five minutes. Right. That is the best case. Well, again, best case scenario is like they ignore her maybe, mm-hmm. but they're heels, so they're gonna at least be or, mean. But it's heavily implied that they're going to like at at least beat her up, or or the R word, which I like. I don't even like interjecting something so serious right. into what's supposed to be a lighthearted thing. But it's I'm, fucking bizarre. But I mean, as a viewer, you have to take what they're implying. You know, yeah, yeah. This stipulation, both teams, their their managers are women. They're not. They're right. not wrestlers. They're not men. They're and they're not even like uh, women wrestlers. They're Though just, we should mention uh, that Arn and Sullivan do come out with Jimmy Hart as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that because beforehand, uh, they 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 don't really say until like midway in the match. They don't remind us of the stipulation, right? So I wasn't aware of that. But then once I knew that, I was like, well, isn't the fact that Jimmy Hart's there does that kind of like give away the ending in a way? I guess, but I don't know what else you do because if you have one of the teams with five minutes alone, yeah. with a woman managing it, like I don't know what you do other than something very very bad, right? Knowing wrestling, they probably would have like had Hogan spank woman, which in '96 wouldn't have come across as poorly as it would have now. Yeah, I mean they were still doing like a guy spanking the evil heel woman in like the mid 2000s in WWE. You know? Yeah, I mean we're we, it's still five more years before we have Trish Stratus barking like a dog. Oh God! So <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. There's a lot of growing up for wrestling to do. <laughs> Of course, uh, this makes Hogan and the Booty Man no better, as they're strongly implying that they want five minutes alone with either Liz or Woman. And of course, we've already heard Mongo uh, back in that strap match, like wistfully think about Hogan whipping the clothes off of Liz and Woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, like this, the show has a really strong air of sexual violence to it yeah. that I am not down with. <laughs> no. Hogan's music hits as Mongo refers to the tornado watches outside the arena, which, as I mentioned, are actually true. Hogan comes out alone as this is turned into a handicap match as later on that April 6th Saturday night, the booty man was taken out by Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan. So this was supposed to be a tag match. It is now turned into a handicap match. Hogan hits the ring and is immediately dominated by the heels with clubbing blows and kicks to the back. The heels make a double clothesline attempt and Hogan uh, ducks and then clotheslines Arn out of the ring before hitting a big boot on Kevin. The announcers explain the rapey stipulation while Hogan ridiculously fails to put on a figure four on Kevin Sullivan. Oh, God. It's even worse than his past bad attempts that we've mocked. I I don't know why he's going for it if he really misunderstands the move this badly. And, th- and, and this looks like... This looks like perfection compared to the next one he tries to. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, because Kevin Sullivan sells, but Heenan uh, tries to help by pointing out that it's not locked on all the way. Arn tries to stomp Hogan, but Hogan moves, and Arn comically sells a foot injury from stomping the mat so hard. <laughs> Hogan then kicks him in the butt and slaps on a figure four that manages to be even shittier <laughs> than the last one. Sullivan sees this and immediately breaks it up. He doesn't allow for like any moments of Arn selling it. Uh, and the heels start working over Hogan with the same clubbing and kicking. Heenan says that Kimberly left DDP poor and broke in the street, and after five minutes alone with Sullivan and Arn, she'll also be broken poor and probably in a body cast. What? Yeah. I missed that part. Yep. Wow. Don't worry, everyone. It's not rape. It's just that these two strong adult men are going to beat a woman to the point where she's in a body cast and also for some reason homeless. Don't worry. <laughs> Speaking of the booty, babe, here she comes out to pump Hogan up. And by the way, this gains the attention of approximately 100% of the fans, too. Yes, they. they she is over with the crowd. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I. it just, um, while watching this, whatever is happening in the ring, you can see every fan stands up and looks, and I'm like, oh, God, the booty man's coming out. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, luckily, you were treated to the booty babe rather than the booty man. Yes. 
Hogan gets back into things with body slams and big boots and whatever. The action <laughs> spills to the outside where he no-sells a chair shot from Sullivan before gently tapping the heels with a chair while Randy Anderson desperately tries to find anything else to look at. <laughs> Hogan slams the heels into each other and gets back into the ring with Arn, who gouges the eyes, sending Hogan right back out of the ring. So what was the fucking point of getting in? <laughs> the heels and Jimmy Hart start beating up Hogan, uh, Randy Anderson clearly does see this and doesn't DQ, despite the involvement of the manager. It's a handicap match, so that doesn't mean your manager can just get involved if he feels like it. They throw Hogan back into the ring and continue the assault as the crowd chants for Hogan. Kimberly does a great job working the crowd. Yes. Uh, she's a rare example of a very attractive uh, babyface valet, who you'd think is just there for her looks, but she's actually like really working to whip the crowd up. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's good work. I, I mentioned it before. It seems like one of her things that like her favorite thing to do is to like directly interact with fans. Yeah. And and she just does yeah, like like you said, she does a great job at it. Uh she knows she knows like the right moments in which to hype them up, which it doesn't sound like it should be that tough, but but yeah. there there have been so many like wives or like related people that like that are there just for eye candy and have no idea one of which is like on the other side of the ring at this time yeah, yeah. her her acting is always like a little bit too broad you know yeah. when she like does stuff like kiss the booty man and then acts like she's gonna like swoon and faint yeah. she's like too over the top mm -hmm. but in this role she's she's great she's yes. really really good mm -hmm. Arn sets up Hogan for a pile driver and signals to Sullivan to head to the top rope to make it a spike pile driver. But as Sullivan reaches the top, Hogan reverses it into a slingshot, and Arn ends up taking out Sullivan. Hogan hits a side suplex on Anderson and a scoop slam on Sullivan. He drops the leg on the Taskmaster for the one, two, three. By the way, with that timing, it was the Taskmaster really had to like he had to wait to take yeah. his medicine on that one. <laughs> it was that was brutal. Yeah, the camera should have cut to not showing him up there so long yeah because you can hide it that way from the tv at least a little bit no that, it was like the exact <laughs> angle <laughs> yeah. to show that he's like i have to eat this now <laughs> woman tries to slap hogan and he catches her arm and forces her in the ring he then advances on liz and just kind of bullies her into the ring as well right woman uses liz as a shield as liz stands there uselessly like not selling that she's upset being used as a shield not really selling that she's scared of hogan just looking awkward as shit. Yeah, and and the, and the announcers are trying to make this going against woman while yeah. like Hogan's ready to beat up on some <laughs> a female. Hogan plays the crowd that he's going to take out both of them, and the crowd uh, doesn't really much react. This crowd, like I said, is really hot. It's mm -hmm. ninety six, and this shouldn't be like so offensive. But the crowd really is like, uh, I don't think you should do that, Goldster. Yeah. Uh, he turns around and notices that Jimmy Hart is in there trying to, like, wake up the Taskmaster, I guess. Right. And, uh, and he starts bullying Hart, and the crowd is cool with this. They're yeah. like, okay, there we go. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Hart tosses powder in Hogan's face, and Hogan just no-sells it. The announcers don't have a fucking clue what to say about it, because <laughs> it seems like it was supposed to lead to something. Right. Uh, but instead, Bischoff can't really figure out what the hell is supposed to go on. In fact, let's hear an audio clip of Bischoff try to call what happens here. Hogan rips off Jimmy Hart's shirt and hits an atomic drop on him. He whips Jimmy off the ropes and hits a big boot. The Giant comes out in uh, no real rush to save Jimmy Hart. Like, he's out to save Jimmy Hart, but he's not going to run yeah. or anything. By the way, at, at some point during, like, that big boot, uh, I believe Eric Bischoff just, like, is laughing his ass off about it. Yeah. And it, it just seems like a weird reaction. <laughs> Well, he hates, he talks all the time about what a maggot Jimmy Hart is, yeah. and he's, like, way over the top with how evil yeah. Jimmy Hart is, so I guess that makes sense. Also, just a weird little note, and this is going to be more in, in relation to the WWE Network. Yeah. There's a censored sign at ringside. Yes. I didn't write in my notes because I was, I didn't know what it was, but yeah, it's, I was wondering, because a lot of stuff gets through the, I mean, we heard uh, Heenan say, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, so, like, what is so bad that it got censored? I know, but, but it's like. A censored sign at A Nitro. You'll never find that information. <laughs> yeah. That unless you can find, like, like the unedited version of that Nitro. Yeah, I guess maybe go to the torrent sites and find that Nitro or yeah. something, which seems like a lot of work to find out. Like, it probably just says, like, Steve from my hometown is a 
F word, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't feel like saying it either. If it is just right now, Steve from my hometown. <laughs> he knows who he is. He knows who he is. <laughs> uh, the giant gets into the ring and Hogan doesn't see him. Randy Anderson does first and reacts like he's seeing a ghost. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Giant choke slams Hogan, but Hogan pops right back up because fuck selling, right? Oh, God. Giant turns around to some Hogan punches in a big boot that fails to take him down. He just kind of stumbles for fucking like a minute and a half while Hogan poses to the crowd. Yeah. Uh, Hogan calls for the body slam like, do you want me to relive WrestleMania 3, that thing that I'm still fucking coasting on this many years later? <laughs> right. And the crowd actually is like, yeah, okay, we would like to see that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they, they're behind him. So he finally uh, body slams the giant. Uh, Gene Okerlund then gets in the ring and taps Hogan on the shoulder, and Hogan turns around in a fit of rage, picks up Gino like he's going to body slam him uh, before realizing that what he's about to do and setting Gene down. Uh, but the giant has used this opportunity to escape. By the way, Gene Okerlund looks really awkward in this situation where he is, obviously he's looking like he's sneaking up on him, which why would yeah. Gene Okerlund do that? Yeah. And it, and it just like you could tell it's like his body language is like this is not something I typically do. Yeah. And and of course, I mean, who hasn't in a fit of rage tried body slamming one of their good <laughs> friends? Who hasn't in a fit of rage tried body slamming Gene Okerlund? I know <laughs> <Right>? I have. <laughs> you did at my birthday party a couple weeks ago. By the way, I'm so sorry. Hey, you know what? He got what he came for. <laughs> Bobby expresses regret that Hogan uh, didn't toss Gene into the balcony. <laughs> Gene tries to interview Hogan, but the mic seems to have been damaged during the aborted body slam, and the promo is marred by poor audio. Hogan says something about coming for the belt and how he's going to climb the ladder to be champion, right. and his music plays as the crowd pops. We're told that Hulkamania is running more wild than ever, and he's on the hunt for the championship. Hulk Hogan will not have another match until August of this year. And, of course, the situation by then will be very, very different. <sighs> so what happened here? Well, Hogan is due some time off for a movie deal, uh, and the original idea was to write him off with an injury angle. That's why this was changed to a handicap match. It really makes no sense for it to be a handicap match the way that it ends, uh, but it was to set up an injury angle where he was actually going to do, like, a stretcher job and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But at the very last minute... Uh, you know, surprise, surprise. What? Hogan decided that because the movie deal wasn't as sure as it absolutely could be, you know, not all the I's were dotted and the T's crossed, he needed to leave open the possibility that he would be sticking around and at the last minute change the ending to this bullshit that we saw. Right. Which maybe explains the powder. Maybe that was originally how it was supposed to go. Who knows? Right. But there's really no explanation for why Jimmy Hart throws powder in his eyes that Hogan pretends didn't happen and they just move on from, like, no, that was just not a thing. <laughs> After a commercial, uh, they decide that even though we started off with a match, they still want to spend their pyro budget for this week. Yes. So we get all the normal show opening pyro, including some new uh, Kane-esque, uh, like, turnbuckle uh, pyro. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why I stumbled there. <laughs> some idiot blows an air horn because some idiot always has an air horn. <laughs> The announcers essentially do their normal show opening hype as if like as if the show is starting now. Like, okay, we got that Hogan bullshit out of the way. We're not going to see him for a few months. Let's have a real show now. Uh, we're told that Ric Flair and the Giant are going to team up. Bad blood from their match like three or four weeks ago, apparently completely forgotten. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be taking on Sting and Lex Luger for the tag team championships. The announcers speculate on what could happen should Macho and Flair run into each other. This is apparently why Pepe is wearing his orange camouflage tonight, Monago tells us, as Flair and Savage are smoking guns, and Pepe did not want to get hit by a stray bullet. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't given us a reason for Pepe's outfit in a while, so I was kind of happy. I was like, oh, yay! <laughs> I mean, the segment's dumb in itself, so <laughs> if, he, if he gives like a really goofy answer, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Public Enemy come out for a Falls Count Anywhere street fight against the Nasty Boys. They barely make it halfway to the ring before the Nasties hit them from behind with trash cans. The Nasties beat them down the aisle where Sags hits a chair shot on Rocco Rock. Public Enemy get in the ring while the Nasties go all the way back for their trash cans they left towards the entrance. <laughs> Sags hits a pile driver on Rock on the outside while Nobbs runs through Johnny Grunge inside the ring. 
in split screen action, the Nasties continue to dominate, including taking one of those like really big, thick plastic trash bins. Yeah. Like not a metal wrestling trash can, but a big, thick plastic one. Right. And they put it on top of Johnny Grunge and then... And then Brian Knobs like lightly punches it for a while, <laughs> which would surely hurt your hand and not at all the man inside the trash can, though it might be kind of loud. <laughs> it was so dumb. Not only that, but is it really asking much to like not have garbage in the fucking garbage can? <laughs> Realism, my boy. Verisimilitude. There's gonna there by the way, for the rest of the show, yeah. there's gonna be like greasy spots yeah. all over the ring. That's not a good look. Rocco Rock gets in the ring with trash can lid, lid shots to the nasties before throwing Sags to the outside. He follows Sags while Knobs and Grunge fight in the corner on the other side of the ring. Grunge dominates with trash can shots while Sags sends Rock into the guardrail. Knobs is thrown into the steps, and Jerry Sags eats a trash can shot. Bischoff tells us that this match is a recycling company's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> he seriously probably waited all week. No, wait, he waited two weeks. <laughs> He's like, all right, what do we got? What do we got? Just come on, Eric, think. They probably <laughs> probably when they're off last week, they saw that there's Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Uh, yeah. And they're like, oh, we could top that. <laughs> Sags and Knobs both grab tables, and one of them is thrown into Johnny Grunge. Sags flips Rocco by the hair through a table leaned up against the ring. Grunge grabs half of that table to then beat up Knobs. Grunge and Knobs brawl as Rocco goes for a leg drop with a trash can lid held under him, but Sags moves and he lands ass first right onto that trash can lid. Yeah. Probably fucking hurts. Yeah. Rocco stalks Sags with the trash can and then the cameraman falls over for some reason. <laughs> right. And we miss whatever happens next. Sags and Grunge climb in the ring and it is now full of garbage and trash and also all the stuff that was in those trash cans. Ah. ah. <laughs> yeah, Bischoff, I can do it too. <laughs> Bischoff tells the director to tell the cameraman to give the match a wide berth and to stay safe rather than get the best shot of the action, which I honestly thought was a great touch. Yes. I, I thought that was really, really selling the seriousness, the violence of the match. Good As, job to Bischoff. Especially since we know Eric Bischoff improvising lines is like one of the worst things. Right. <laughs> Rocco Rock hits a great bulldog on Knobs into a chair on the outside. Grunge drops a leg on the trash can lid onto Sags' face for a two-count broken up by Sags getting a leg on the ropes. Knobs gets a chair shot on Grunge as Bischoff asks the director for a crowd shot, which was another canny move as the crowd are all standing intently watching this match. Yeah. Like, it's almost eerie how into it and just standing and watching in awe the crowd is. And it is a great way to sell the match. Yeah. Great awareness by Bischoff to notice that and really a fantastic idea to ask for a shot of it. Grunge sneaks up on Sags and puts a trash bag over his head, earning a chair shot from Knobs. They all stand around hitting each other with trash cans outside the ring, seriously just like lazily taking turns. Right. This match was hot for about five minutes and then they all got really tired. Yeah. Knobs is rolled into the ring but takes advantage of table debris, uh, running Johnny Grunge into it before choking him with a boot. Rocco Rock sets up a table at ringside. Knobs heads to the top rope for a clothesline on Grunge, but Grunge gets a foot on the ropes, breaking up a pin. Knobs is hit by a chair from Rocco and then several more times from Grunge. A table is slid into the ring. The announcers speculate that with falls counting anywhere, maybe this match will end inside the eye of a tornado. <laughs> Knobs is placed on the table, and Grunge heads to the top rope. Grunge goes for a top rope leg drop, but Knobs rolls off the table. Sags pulls Rocco out of the ring, and Knobs gets the pin on Johnny Grunge, who went through the table all in his lonesome. Total garbage wrestling, but uh, entertaining nonetheless. I, I thought it added variety to the show. Hard-hitting match. What are your thoughts? Uh, I th I thought it, it, it started off really well, Yeah. but then like as it progressed, it, it more and more became like, very very disorganized and and i i think there was a lot of the especially the nasty boys didn't yeah. seem to know exactly what to do how to improvise yeah i mean this was very much an ecw match yeah being held in wcw i will say the nasties because you're right um and i'm sorry to cut you off uh but i have a big important opinion all right uh, <laughs> <laughs> i thought the nasties they looked better meshing into the style than, say, Alex Wright did way back when he wrestled Sabu. Mm -hmm. You know, it yes. was at least an example of somebody meeting that style better than we've seen from other WCW guys trying to work extreme. Yeah. 
Um, I actually I had higher expectations for the match. Sure. Because the last time we saw these two face the these two teams face yeah. was Clash of the Champions. That was a great match, and it was a great match. And I think I think it was because they were able to um, do more with what they had. Whereas I think in this instance they had pr- maybe too many props. Sure. Too yeah. many things to work with. Yeah. Maybe. And yeah, it became like a literal and a figurative mess just all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully if this is a sign of things come that they're going to try more of this stuff on Nitro, that I'm looking forward to. Sure. Because you're, you're not really seeing a lot of that uh, on Raw. Um, so more of, of like having some of this ECW element in Nitro, I think would be good for good for the show. Absolutely. After the match, uh, Public Enemy attacks the Nasty Boys and place Jerry Sags on the table that was set up outside the ring earlier. Nobbs is taken out, and Rocco gets ready to flip over the top rope to the outside, putting Sags through the table, but his partner Johnny Grunge is in the way. Rocco signals for Grunge to move, but Grunge just says, like, no, come on. (laughs) So Rocco runs, flips over the top rope into Johnny Grunge, Uh and they both just fall awkwardly (laughs) onto Jerry Sags and through the table. I don't know what Johnny Grunge thought this was going to look like, but it does right. not look cool. <laughs> right. I, what the fuck was he thinking was going to happen? <laughs> it's really weird. And the way that Rocco tells him to move is like, they didn't practice that. Like, that's right. not the way it's supposed to work. And Rocco was just like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it was really weird. Bischoff says that Jerry Sags is going to be coughing up his rib cage out of his brain. <laughs> <laughs> The best part is this is not even the first time he's <laughs> referred to somebody coughing up their rib cage. Sure, but how do you cough anything out of your brain? <laughs> That's a disturbing new layer to the whole equation. Right. He's so injured, his rib cage comes through his skull <laughs> out of his brain. After a commercial, out comes Earl Robert Eaton, who we haven't seen on Nitro in months outside of his work as a lumberjack. He is accompanied by Jeeves. Out to face Eaton is the Macho Man. Uh, the Macho Man's money angle has been continuing on Saturday night where Liz, Woman, and Flair have been appearing in these hilarious tape promos, uh, showing off Macho's credit card and bragging about spending his money. Mm-hmm. And they're actually pretty damn good because when you can, like, edit around Liz's weaknesses, you can actually get, like, something <laughs> worthwhile out of it. Um, I just wanted to mention, since we hadn't seen in a while, um, how good Earl Robert Eaton is at this uh, particular role of his. Yeah. Considering the what should have been like an unmitigated disaster to have an uncharismatic Southerner portray an Englishman, he seems uh, he like the like the little details as far as like, pretty. Well, I mean, he he pretty much is acting like Lord Stephen Regal. Right. But I I feel like he's does a really good job at that in comparison to any other time where he seems like he has no real like charisma. Well, and I think, and this I only clarify because I think this is important later. He's not supposed to be an Englishman. He's supposed to be a Southerner, like per, like putting on the airs of an Englishman. Right. Like he's still because that's that's going to come up, and we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get a commercial, and when we come back, the match starts with a lockup, and Macho Man takes over with some punches. He rubs Eaton eyes into the ropes and shoves him to the mat. Eaton charges Macho, but is tossed over the top rope to no disqualification. By the way. Right. Savage throws the Earl of Eaton into the ring post as Bischoff tells us that Macho Man has an exciting new opportunity. Let's go to the audio clip. I'll tell you what, you want to hear something ridiculous? The Macho Man Randy Savage taking Eaton out onto the concrete floor. I'll tell you something ridiculous. The Macho Man Randy Savage has got a huge opportunity. In fact, he's going to be starring in Dial M for Monkey from Hanna-Barbera, a new cartoon that's going to be premiering on the Cartoon Network Sunday, April 21st at 7 p.m. And I'll tell you what, Elizabeth already trying to figure out how she can cash in on that. The Macho Man Randy Savage with the cover. She's already trying to cash in on something that the Macho Man Randy Savage is doing. He's got an opportunity with the Cartoon Network and, and, and animation, and she thinks that money is hers. This woman is nuts. Watch for the Macho Man Randy Savage in Dial M for Monkey. Well, they're changing the name of it. It's going to be called Dial M for hey, Monkey. Look at this. Look at this. Okay. Where does it go? Even Fred heard about Dial M for Monkey and the Macho Man Randy Savage. Mrs. What if Oak- he's jealous? Mrs. Okerwin made it, I see. The Macho Man Randy Savage. Dave, <laughs> you ever seen Dial M for Monkey? <laughs> 
Not oh the, boy. Nothing quite sells the serious plight of Macho Man Randy Savage in WCW quite like doing a Cartoon Network. <laughs> oh my God, Bischoff! Like he does a pretty admirable job of keeping a straight face through it, of trying to act like it's not fucking undercutting <laughs> right. this whole like more adult, realistic stuff or whatever by yeah. dial M for monkey. <laughs> Back in the ring, Macho Man hits a standing elbow for two. Eaton tosses Macho Man over the top rope, also avoiding disqualification. Nice. The camera then misses Eaton diving from the ring down onto Macho Man as they're too busy showing a guy in a Fred Flintstone costume <laughs> as uh, Dial M for Monkey is a Hanna-Barbera production. So they don't have a monkey outfit. I guess they're just like, hey, we also made this cartoon, so watch Dial M for Monkey. <laughs> Fucking weird. Back in the ring, the two exchange punches and Eaton gets the better of Macho. Mongo declares that Macho should dump Eaton's tea in the harbor and declare a revolution since Eaton is from England. And I'm unsure if Mongo remembers that Eaton is really from Alabama. Right. Like, he's talking <laughs> as if this is a genuine Englishman. <laughs> so that's why I clarified earlier, because I really think Mongo forgot. Right. Eaton decides to piss off Savage by acting like Flair. He woos, struts, and locks on a figure four. With the hold locked in, he waves a Four Horsemen shirt in the Macho Man's face. Randy eventually escapes and drops Eaton throat first onto the ropes. Randy hits a scoop slam and goes to the top rope elbow, but Jeeves prevents him from climbing the turnbuckle. Randy grabs Jeeves' powdered wig, and the crowd fucking loves this. Yes. <laughs> and Eaton tries sneaking up on behind, uh, getting a back body drop for his troubles. A scoop slam and an elbow drop from Randy are followed by a 1-2-3, and Randy has won the match. Finally... On Nitro, a Randy match where he's not selling the entire goddamn time. Right. Like, I like Eaton, and he's good in his role, but this was the right amount of offense that he should be getting in yeah. against a guy who is, like, feuding with the champion right now, you mm. know? Also, that whole part with Earl Robert Eaton acting like Ric Flair is yeah. really weird. It's strange. Yeah. It doesn't go with his gimmick at all. Uh -huh. That's not something, like, Stephen Regal would have done, you know? It's right. very strange. And, and and especially the part where he has like the the t shirt, yeah. While he has him in the figure four, yeah. And and Randy Savage, he seems like he's trying to ignore these antics. Yeah, he doesn't really like get. He's you'd think he's supposed to get more fired up or crazy, right? But he does. He doesn't. He just kind of. It's like it's not even happening. I mean, it almost to me seemed like that Eaton improvised this, and maybe Savage wasn't aware of it. Could be. I I don't know, but like. It definitely, it was just a weird kind of like little part of the match. Randy Anderson is for some reason very worried that Macho Man will attack Eaton again, and Macho Man reacts by shoving Randy Anderson to the mat. He goes up for another elbow drop, but Alex Wright, Jim Duggan, and generic black-eyed jobber number three come out <laughs> to stop him. I, tr I tried to find out who he was. Nobody knows. <laughs> he hits the elbow anyway. The babyfaces hold him down as Doug Dillinger, WCW's real-life head of security, gets in the ring. The cops stand by on the outside, instead allowing Doug Dillinger to handcuff Macho Man, which <laughs> seems like a really weird thing for police to do, but right. what do I know? <laughs> Bischoff says that this is for Randy's own good. Uh, i just like to point out that something like two months ago, Randy dropped an extra elbow on Hugh Morris after a match and then went up for a third one, mm. and no one had a fucking problem with it at the time. Everyone thought it was great. Right. So it's just like now it's a storyline that he's unhinged, so now it's a fucking problem. <laughs> we get a commercial break, including an ad for WCW Magazine, which this month has an exclusive interview with Medusa. I hope somebody asked if she was happy coming to WCW just to drop a belt in the trash, lose to Sherry once on Nitro, and Robert Parker once on Super Brawl. Right. <laughs> I think it's a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope they got to the bottom of that one. <laughs> Flair's music hits. I always wondered, uh, before we get to that, do you think that those interviews in like WCW Magazine, are they really even interviewing Medusa, or is a writer sitting down and writing questions and then writing in like her character's voice? I I don't know. I would, I would assume... I would think that that for the magazine it would just be easier to write it right themselves. It? Yeah, uh, I I don't really know, um, because I I know Rob like especially in like the mid to late nineties kind of did more like shoot interviews in their magazines, mm -hmm. um, which and those sound like they're real. I I don't know. I never really 
Yeah, it was. You know, now that you mentioned it, it was in a interview in in WWF magazine that Randy announced that he was divorcing Liz, like in real life. Oh, okay. Um, so that you're right in that there were some like shoot stuff in the magazines. Yeah, I don't. I I don't know. I, to be honest, I I never really uh, found that out. Flair's music hits, and Bischoff says that the fans have been on their feet all night. Like, he's really going on about how amazing it is and how he's never seen anything. And he's he sounds completely genuine, not like the yes. usual Bischoff uh, blowing smoke up your ass. Like, he's legitimately amazed at the way the crowd has been. Yeah. Heenan says all their furniture at home has been repoed, so they're used to standing up, <laughs> right. which is fantastic. <laughs> Flair comes out with some uh, new, like, yellow circular lights behind him and uh, some pyro. He's out with Woman, Liz, and the Giant. And he has on a gorgeous golden robe this week that looks right. incredible. Yeah. He once again hits on Deborah McMichael at ringside. Uh, next out comes Sting and Luger, who come out together. None of this, like, standing apart or separate music shit that the announcers can go nuts. Luger does his usual mid-entrance flex and almost hits Sting in the face, mm-hmm. which Sting dodges and laughs because, of course, Sting gets plus five charisma during all entrances. Right. <laughs> Sting uh, is playing the straight baby face this week. No, like, acting mad or sad behind Sting's back. Like, mm-hmm. he's just high-fiving, glad-handing, and, and happy to be here, you know? And also, I, I think a way that they looked like they were really together is that the, they were both wearing the tag team titles, which is, I think, the first time I've seen them do that. I think you're right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Lex normally likes to carry both of his belts and then throw them casually on the ground when it's time for that <laughs> right. flexing. <laughs> anyway, here with a blow-by-blow account of all of the action is our own Dave Amantor. Uh By the way, uh, I just want to say that this week's Nitro, according to Eric Bischoff, is brought to you by the new movie, The Great White Hype. I kind of remember this movie. Uh, all I remember is Samuel Jackson is kind of a Don King. Yeah. And I think he's got like a fake belly, right? Does that sound right? Uh, I don't really know a lot about it. My favorite part about research on this movie was yeah. the information listed under box office on Wikipedia. Ooh, here we go. The movie was not a box office success. It was the only <laughs> statement I had. <laughs> well, that's weird because Bischoff says uh, he, he, in this really cheesy tone, he goes, well, that one looks pretty good. I might have to see that one myself. <laughs> it's so cheesy. So you were saying that Flair was uh, trying to seduce Deborah. Uh, I, I like that, that this week Mongo realizes that he probably shouldn't approve of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's condemning him, and eventually he calls Ric Flair, I think, a punk. Yeah, that sounds right. At some point. So it really seems like someone told Mongo, like, you shouldn't make it okay for him to hit on your wife. Say something next time. <laughs> uh, but meanwhile, Bobby Heenan <laughs> keeps telling Mongo that, like, when Flair sets his mind on something, he usually gets what he wants. Yeah, that's a <laughs> fucked up thing to say, dude. So you should probably look at Folly Chapter 11. <laughs> Just get in. Just get it over with. <laughs> just face the facts, man. <laughs> um, uh, and then once once Sting and Luger are in the ring, uh, on the at the other corner, it's the giant and Flair's in front of him. Flair drops to a knee and starts flexing, <laughs> in, like retaliation to their entrance. <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and so this is, as you mentioned before, for the World Tag Team titles, although a couple of places I read suggested this was a triple title match, but nothing else has said that. No, because, uh, in fact, the announcer, speci- Mongo, for some, Mongo, I think, just because he's, like, you know, barely present in his own <laughs> life at most times. Right. He just says at one point, like, well, what happens if they win? <laughs> right. And Bischoff explains that uh, Flair and... Uh, giant. The Giant would be the tag team champions leaving Luger as the television champion. And I feel like he says on the other side that the tag team champions wouldn't get anything other than, like, satisfaction or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. So there was – I was trying to figure out why some people were saying triple title match, but either way, if it was a triple title match, they there was not a good enough hype for it. So Well, who would know? Because you almost never hear the ring introductions. Yeah. A lot of the time it's because the music is overdubbed. Yeah. And that drowns it out. But even in a like Flair's music is always Flair's music. Mm-hmm. You can never fucking make out what Dave Penzer's yelling. Yeah. So Sting and Ric Flair start the match off. And Flair starts by bouncing off the ropes while Sting tries to initiate contact. But Flair backs off while running his hands over his hair. Over his hair, 
not through his hair, because <laughs> we don't mess with success. After that, some uh, mild strutting ensues. Ric Flair and Sting... Ex- mild strutting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's mild. After that, Ric Flair and Sting exchange woos, neither <laughs> of which has an effect on his opponent. They lock hands, and Flair is quick to sweep under the arm for a wrist lock, then pulls the Stinger to the mat by the hair. Sting kips up, and then Flair pulls him back down again. Sting kips up and blocks a further attempt with a woo. Nick Patrick warns both men about going for the hair, which I assume both will be respectful of and comply. <laughs> now we get a traditional collar and elbow tie-up, which quickly converts into a headlock for Ric Flair, but Sting escapes by sending Flair into the ropes. St- Flair returns and drops Sting with a shoulder block. Then he leaps over him. Sting jumps up and leapfrogs Ric Flair, drops down again to let Flair leap over him. Another leapfrog, and the volley is broken with a press slam by the Stinger. At this point, I wanted to mention that Sting and Ric Flair have just a crazy amount of ring compatibility. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, years of practice and just both men's abil- like willingness to work with each other. It's yeah. incredible. After this press slam, the Giant gets upset, and in his anger when he turns his back to him while at ringside, Sting drop kicks him to the arena floor. The Giant landed on his feet, of course, and is more angry than injured. Sting gathers Flair for another press slam, but this time he launches a world champion out of the ring, where the Giant is supposed to catch him. The execution is off, however, and the Giant improvises by throwing Flair back in like they're (laughs) on opposite (laughs) sides. To Flair's credit, he gets to his feet and starts yelling at the Giant like, What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Sting has Tayden and Luger. Uh, who drops Flair to the map by some intense flexing. Now it's Lex Luger's turn to create the aforementioned toss to the outside, and this time Giant catches Flair, but again throws Ric Flair in like he's an adversary. What happens next is some of the funniest physical acting news you can get. As Flair looks at the Giant with wild eyes, stomps on the mat in frustration, and then flails around as he gets schoolboy by the recently tagged instinct for one count. Ric Flair uh, immediately rolls to the ringside, runs around the ring, and does a running chop to the Giant with, like, a Ooh. 1 out of 10 level of impact. <laughs> it is... I think the Giant's more surprised than anything. Uh, so the Giant is upset, and he stalks Flair up to the entrance as we go to commercial break, as in, like, the most inopportune time to go to commercial. Yeah, no shit. And so when we come back, we come back just to see Flair getting dropped onto the map by a press slam from Luger, which I assume is a press slam. You don't see it, but that's like half the moves. So. Right, right. <laughs> and so this is, really has not been not Flair's night so far. After that, we get some more effective flexing by Luger, followed up by some well-timed no-selling of chops from the Nature Boy. <laughs> Flair unloads with punches for no effect, and when he comes off the ropes for a haymaker, is blocked and countered by a punch from the total package. However, instead of capitalizing, Luger makes a mistake of turning his attention to the Giant, who grabs Lex by the throat long enough for Flair to nail him from behind with a chop block. Rick Flair ta- finally tags in the Giant, who kicks Luger around before standing on him for a bit. Uh, and Lex sells this like he's being disemboweled. He is like flailing yeah. all over the place. <laughs> Uh, so the giant picks him back up and sets him into the corner and then puts what I understand to be his size 22 quadruple E boot to his throat. Wow. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know if people wear shoes that have like the number and letters, but he has a lots of numbers and lots of letters on his. <laughs> uh, so after he, after he does that for a bit, uh, he suplexes, the giant suplexes Lex and then tags back in Ric Flair who stomps on the back of his head. And so at this point, now they have him worn down, a chop can fell the mighty toll package, and Flair is quick to dispatch Luger to the outside. This gives Woman the opportunity to rake at his eyes. The Giant throws Lex Luger back into the ring as Sting argues with Ric Flair and in turn Nick Patrick, who wants to keep this contest nice and clean. Flair sizes Luger up and hits a knee drop, but can only get a two count from that. After unloading with some punches, he tags the Giant back in, who sends Lex Luger from corner to corner. Luger stumbles around the mat for a bit, and the Giant pulls him up to his feet and sends him corner to corner a second time. This apparently now tires out the Giant as he tags Nature Boy back in. Flair grabs Luger's leg and starts kicking away, while Mongo talks about tearing up Barbie dolls for some reason. 
So <laughs> I, I heard I heard part of it. I guess you, you have the whole story. I do. I have the full quote here. Mongo goes, use and abuse him like I used to do to my little sister's Barbie dolls. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> that is disturbing. Sometimes you get a little peek behind Mongo's like aw shucks, yeah, water off a duck's <laughs> back demeanor, and it's fucking scary, dude. <laughs> it's a, it's like that was really unprovoked, Mongo. <laughs> Where does this come from? R- Rick, after that, is able to slap on the signature mover that uh, Earl Robert Eden made famous earlier on, <laughs> the figure four leg lock. Woman gets Flair the assist by holding his arms to intensify the figure four which causes Sting to enter the ring and distract the referee with his frustration. After all these years, the Stinger has yet to master uh. the inconti- <laughs> intricate details of tag team wrestling. <laughs> I don't know how many championships he's had tag team-wise, but he should know not to Just do that. Just stay on ringside, dude. <laughs> and after three assists from Woman and holding the ropes himself, Nick Patrick finally orders the hold to be released. This culminates in a shoving match between Flair and referee, in which there are no winners. Rick tags in the Giant, who press slams Lex Luger with very little difficulty. He steps on Luger before tagging the Nature Boy back in, as apparently the Giant is working on a strict two-move pitch count <laughs> per trip into the ring. <laughs> Flair maneuvers Luger into the corner and chops him, but Luger counters with a punch. The, they exchange a few blows until Luger sends Flair across the ring, but his follow-up is countered by a back elbow. This sends Lex screaming to the mat as Ric Flair struts angrily <laughs> around him. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty crazy part where, where Flair struts around Lex Luger so he could go back up to the top rope. <laughs> but inconceivably, Luger manages to catch him <laughs> and throws him to the mat. Is this? I think this is also where uh, Mongo says something like, you know, I may not always agree with Luger's methods. Like, you know, he's saying, like, Luger's, you know, sometimes kind of shady. Yeah. And Bischoff has the fucking audacity to go, uh, you know, a lot of people are criticizing Lex Luger, and I'm not so sure that's justified. <laughs> Bischoff, what? you are the one criticizing <laughs> Lex Luger. What the fuck are you talking about? He's Week in and week out, he throws all sorts of shade on Luger, and this week he's just like, Man, I don't know why all these assholes are always picking out old Lex Luger. <laughs> right. I think it should be noted that at the very beginning, when they, there was that uh, when Lex was flexing and yeah. almost hit Sting, there was a moment where you could tell that Eric wanted to create controversy. <laughs> with that. Yeah, well, controversy creates cash. Uh, apparently. Uh, all right. So the, he after Luger throws him to the mat, Luger's on the ground and. It's gut check time as both of the wrestlers struggle to defeat. Flair tries to cut off Luger but fails as a fresh sting comes in, a proverbial house of fire. Punch, punch, chop, chop, press slam, and a drop kick for the nature boy. Sting sends Flair to the opposite corner where he flips over and murders the cameraman before being clotheslined to the ring apron. Tonight is not a night to be a cameraman at Nitro. In the ring, Sting sets Flair on the top rope and crushes the world champion with a top rope superplex, which looks amazing. Flair flops around on the mat as the giant screams in frustration. The giant tries to enter the ring while Sting applies a scorpion deathlock, but Lex Luger cuts him off. At this time, Miss Elizabeth distracts the referee while Woman enters with the from the far corner with a cup of coffee. Luger tries to talk her down, but Woman will hear none of it. Woman throws a coffee, Lex Luger ducks, and we're supposed to believe that enough of the coffee made it to Sting's eyes that he immediately convulses on the mat in extreme pain. The referee calls for the disqualification as the giant choke slams the total package. Uh, it should be noted at this point that, based on the camera angle, there's no way you can believe any of that liquid got into the Sting's eyes. Mm-hmm. The giant choke slams Sting and Ric Flair covers Sting, demanding a three count. Instead, the announcer declares Sting and Luger winners by DQ a woman seduces the television audience by stroking the world heavyweight title provocatively. She really does. <laughs> she really does. <laughs> we then cut over to the announce desk uh, where Bobby holds up some handcuffs showing what happened to Randy earlier and just kind of gloating about it. Uh-huh. And uh, Bischoff distracts him and putting, puts the cuffs on Bobby while Bobby just holds his arm out perfectly <laughs> right. still it's so cheesy and stupid yeah it it almost looks as bad as liz trying to handcuff hogan weeks ago and him helping her out but 
At least there was a point to that. This is just like dumb shenanigans. Bad comedy. <laughs> yeah. Bobby tries to free himself as Bischoff sends us out to end the show. Uh, what did you think of Nitro this week, Dave? Uh, I, <laughs> I I don't think it was a very good Nitro. Um, the opening segment is like one of the most aggravating ones I've seen on Nitro so far because it was just, uh, you know, no matter if I stay or if I go, it has to be known that Hulk Hogan is the top in all of wrestling, and he has to make everyone awful, look awful on the way out. Yeah. That, no, you're right. Uh, it's it's likely that he was on first because this is, as we said last week, Raw and Nitro are both starting early now. Yeah. And I think that Nitro is like, look, Hogan's on. But I like to think that they're like, look, we're getting Hogan out of the way. Right. Because I felt like after Hogan was gone, the show really picicked up. And yeah. even though it wasn't amazing, uh, the like the pace felt it the pace was good. The wrestling was decent. Uh, you know, the star power in the main event was there without being reliant on Hogan. Yeah, I actually really liked this episode. Um, not breaking the mold, certainly, but it it kept me interested. And uh, comparatively to Raw last week, I think this is hands down, you know, my preferred show. Right between the, you know, comparing comparatively. Yeah, I um. You know, I don't know if I mentioned this on a previous uh, edition of our podcast or if we just discussed this uh, at a separate time, but I I had listened to a uh, an interview that Paul Heyman had done with uh, with MMA inter- uh, reporter Ariel Hawani. Ariel Hawani had asked him about why TNA uh, never succeeded, and Paul Heyman said it's because TNA never branded itself as something different than WWE. And I, I feel like Nitro and WCW in general has done a really good job of branding itself as something really different. Yeah. Um, what, the, what they do is they make sure that there is like some form of recognizable or, or high-value star power in every single match. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but their competition is always someone that could, in theory, beat them instead of having these sort of, like, enhancement matches that, that WWF likes to do. Um, so I, I, I could see, looking back, why, as a kid, when WCW kind of went got going, why I like to watch that instead of WWF, because sometimes you go back there, and it'll be, like, you know, for example, Triple H versus Duke the Dumps and Rosie. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I, I would say after doing last week and watching uh, Raw, I, I don't feel like I'm missing a whole lot there. Right, I uh, agree. Whereas this, even though it's it, it can be very disorganized and their storylines will sometimes get cut off or go in the wrong direction, but you feel like they're trying to give you entertaining matches throughout the whole show from start to finish. Um, and in that sense, that's, I think that's why I really, really like um the nitros at this time even though like late 95 early 96 before uh the nwo shows up Mm -hmm. it's kind of not really a a covered oh sure not very covered era but uh there i think there's a lot of good stuff to find here especially uh to me like rick flair just oh yeah he's the mvp so far yeah yeah just just uncovering a lot of these rick flair matches during a time in which you don't really think about it Mm -hmm. he's just Every single night, he is just on. He's money. Um, and as a segue, I, I would say that Ric Flair is my MVP for, for this particular Nitro. Um, like we've said, there wasn't a lot going on this particular episode as far as like advancement of big storylines and everything. So I would say just from a performance standpoint, he had the top performance as he pretty much carried the whole tag team match. Got had the whole thing going, so uh, my MVP is going to be Ric Flair. My MVP is going to be Eric Bischoff. Ooh, I thought he was very good on commentary, and maybe it's uh, coming down a little bit from a Vince McMahon hangover. <laughs> right. uh, but you know, he—it's not even so much like calling the moves, although he calls a lot more moves than McMahon does. Yeah, and he's gotten over his habit that he used to have of calling too many moves. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he, you know, he's still not great at play by play, but he found a lot of ways to sell like the seriousness or the excitement of moments tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he managed to not get too caught up in the ridiculousness of dial M for monkey. Like he was like, I have to say this. I'm just going to say it. We're going to move on. Yeah. Like I really thought Bischoff was good here and I don't often think that. And on the whole, I get why he's not regarded as a great announcer. And he says uh, in his book that he's not a great announcer. He says Mm -hmm. basically the reason Shivani's not doing the show is he's better looking than Shivani. And like, yeah, that's kind of an egocentric statement, but it's also objectively true. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) So like, I'd like to, you know, give the man his due on this night. He was great. I I liked him. So he is my MVP. What was your match of the night? Uh, my match tonight will be the tag team main event. Um, I thought, I mean, it's hard to go against Sting and Ric Flair kind of doing their thing in the ring, uh, especially at this time before, you know, either of them have really lost a step or anything like that. Uh, the Giant kind of came in and had his moments, but uh, as I mentioned earlier, they kind of kept those moments short, so you didn't really, he wasn't really exposed at all. And, uh, I mean, the only negative point was uh, Lex Luger just like, overselling like crazy which just hearing him scream for so long that it gets old but other than that i thought it was a really a really good tag team match uh crummy ending i'm not really sure where this cup of coffee uh angle is going yeah (laughs) but uh i i thought overall like the in-ring action that was the best uh i'm gonna go ahead and i don't know i had the uh Falls Count Anywhere Street Fight tag team match. Yeah. But I actually think I'm going to change it to the main event. You made compelling arguments. And, uh, you know, the the hardcore match was great for the first few minutes, and then everyone got sleepy. Yeah. So I'm going to change and go with the main event. I think you gave great reasons. Yeah. What? Um, just something that I – an observation I kind of had about that hardcore tag team match is uh, – like when they started off, they had like a certain like amount of props, and I felt like that like a lot of the props kind of like broke pretty mm-hmm. early, and so they it kind of like they didn't have a lot of like high spots that were like tables or anything related because they just had the one table left and that was for after the match. Right. So I think I think like after a few <laughs> bits are like, oh wait, uh, all of our <laughs> ideas are gone. Yeah, and we can't really wrestle because there's garbage everywhere. <laughs> literal garbage all over the place in our raw recap this week the wild man mark marrow defeated leaf cassidy steve austin defeated bart gunn vader and jim Cornette cut a promo on vader's upcoming opponent razor ramon uh that if you watch it and i might drop in in fact i will i'm gonna drop in an audio clip see if you can pick up the veiled uh references to razor ramon leaving the wwf soon it's in less than two weeks when the man they call Vader meets the only four-time Intercontinental Champion, the bad guy, Razor Ramon. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Whoa. The bad guy, Chico. You're the next man to step into the danger zone. You're the next man to step in his path. And I got news for you, Razor Ramon. I may not be Gene Dixon, but I got a crystal ball. Call me Kornak the Magnificent because I've looked into your future. And I see the career of Razor Ramon after April 28th taking a severe and sharp downward spiral. Razor Ramon may soon cease to exist. Razor Ramon has made some very bad career choices by signing a contract to get in the ring April 28th. We got a music video of Sonny in some various sexy outfits. It's just... Three minutes of a shitty music. It's probably her theme music. I'm not even sure. It's I like know that. you want me. Oh yeah, yeah. That's okay, her yeah. It's yeah. her theme song, and just like her in a bikini, mm-hmm. uh, her in a dress, her in a different bikini. Yeah, which, and it goes on for like three and a half minutes. <laughs> Sweet. Goldust and Savio Vega for the Intercontinental Title ended in a no contest and the vacating of the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Uh oh. It was dumb, and I'm not going to get into it. Okay. But they're going to have a rematch next week to determine who the IC champion is. Oh. In the ratings battle, Raw edged out Nitro this week with a 3.1 to Nitro's 2.8. So pretty close, uh, but Raw managed to at least get one win out of their huge numbers last week. So Yeah, you would kind of figure with their with the huge poll they had last week. Um and in like you said, it wasn't one of the greatest Raws of all time, but it was it was 
decent and at least gave reason to tune in the next week. Right. So I, I feel like they kind of had like a an advantage going into this week. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if that momentum goes uh, uh, for the next few weeks to come. Absolutely. On the same day that this episode aired, so today, 20 years ago, Brian Pillman, who has continued appearing on ECW television but who has not had a match there, wrecked his Humvee while speeding on a rural Kentucky road. Pillman ran off the road, hit a tree stump, veered into a field on the opposite side of the road where his open-air Humvee rolled over and he was thrown 40 feet from the vehicle. Uh, Likely that's what saved his life due to his body being nearly completely limp as he had probably passed out causing the incident in the first place and him not being constrained with a seatbelt. He said he normally wore one, he just happened to not be this time, and it actually saved his life. So uh, the moral of the story this week, kids, is don't wear your (laughs) seatbelts. Not for any reason. (laughs) At least if you're going to be driving on rural Kentucky roads well pilled up out of your mind. Wasn't wasn't this, did he say something that he was like so hallucinating that he thought he saw his his dead wife in the back seat or something Uh, like that? It was, if I remember right, um, it was actually a ex girlfriend had committed suicide like over the phone to him. Yeah. It was like she had called and demanded he take her back, and he said no, and she killed herself. Yeah, and yeah, I think you're right. I think he was so fucked up that he said at one point that he had hallucinated seeing her. And but I think it's, I mean, that's possible, but it's also possible that he just passed out or dreamed it in a nightmare in his coma afterward. You know, who yeah. knows? Yeah, th- and this this is like one of the biggest like what if kind of situations if uh if brian pillman because i mean this essentially ruins hit the the remainder of his his in-ring career right because pillman suffered a severely broken ankle which is by far the biggest piece of the injury mm-hmm. a dislocated jaw and several other scrapes and lacerations although the injuries were initially thought to be much more serious and maybe even life-threatening pillman would be released from the hospital only four days later and the initial belief was that his wrestling career would continue as normal. Uh, the ankle is one that he had previously injured in his f- pro football days, and actually that's why he stopped playing pro football. Okay. He was in uh, the CFL, the Canadian Football League, injured that ankle, had to retire, got into wrestling um, through Stampede Wrestling up in Canada. Two days before his release from the hospital, his WCW contract expired, and while still in the hospital, he received early interest from both WWF and WCW, neither of whom seem much concerned with the injury. That <laughs> That's quite an indication of, like, what a big draw he was. Yeah, and how that draw is based on his personality. Like, yeah. almost whether he can work or to what extent is less important. Yeah. And uh, I actually read a story where the EMTs told him at the scene that if they set the ankle now, it would be extremely painful, but better in the long run, and he told them to do it, which just sounds fucking painful as hell. Yeah, I mean, uh, who knows how crazy doped up he was right. at that point. Right, yeah, yeah. So we will we'll still have plenty more to say about Pillman in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't actually see him on a show unless we, you know, cruise over to Raw for another week. But mm-hmm. uh, he's not out of our timeline, but that's that's where we're at with his story right now. As we mentioned last week, Bischoff has been talking some real shit in interviews lately. <laughs> Here's something from the Miami Herald, he said, uh, on whether or not he would be willing to sit down with Vince McMahon to settle their issues. Vince McMahon is an egomaniacal punk, and Vince McMahon's ego would not allow him to sit down. First of all, Vince McMahon's ego won't ever allow him to admit that I'm the one kicking his butt every week. He's out there trying to paint this picture that Ted Turner is beating him up. Ted Turner has so many things he has to tend to. I don't think Vince McMahon flashes through Ted Turner's mind more than once or twice a year. Ted Turner doesn't make the day-to-day decisions about WCW. He hasn't hired anybody. He hasn't negotiated any deals that I've negotiated over the last year and a half. He hasn't made any decisions that have really catapulted WCW to the position we're in right now. But Vince McMahon wants the world to believe that the battle is between him and Ted Turner. I guess he figures he can draw more sympathy by saying that he's getting beat up by Ted Turner than by realizing he's getting beaten up by Eric Bischoff. So as long as his ego and his sense of reality is as contorted as it is, I don't ever see the opportunity to sit down and discuss it. (laughs) So many things to say about that. Well, for, for one thing, I mean, most of that stuff he's saying about the ego, he could really just say about himself. (laughs) Sure. And also, I mean, just thinking about this idea, I, about uh 
Vince wanted to be compared to uh, Ted Turner more than Eric Bischoff. I wonder if it's just like a, like a class thing where it's like he, I don't know if Vince is like considered a billionaire at this time, but I, I think he's wealth wise. He's wants to be considered more at the Ted Turner level yeah. than, than whatever level Eric Bischoff is at. Well, it's interesting because Vince hates rich people, but he wants to be rich. Mm-hmm. And he hates Southerners, even though he's Southern. He's from North Carolina. Yeah. Like, Ted Turner is the embodiment of the things that Vince McMahon wants to be and simultaneously hates. Like, there could not be a better real-life foil for Vince McMahon than Ted Turner. Yeah. And the Bischoff is probably more or less correct. That Ted Turner does not think about Vince McMahon nearly as much as Vince McMahon thinks about Ted Turner. Right. You know? And... And Vince McMahon probably doesn't think about Eric Bischoff nearly as much as Eric Bischoff thinks about Vince McMahon. True. Um, yeah, th- and that's that just reminds me of one one of the very first podcasts we were doing. We were talking about uh, Ted Turner taking over the Jim Crockett promotions. Yeah. And realizing what a very, very small fraction of his enterprise is based on WCW. It's to the point that's like that's why they can still keep running it because the money he puts into WCW is such a small factor of the money that he has he has in invested in anywhere. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert for five years from now, but like ultimately, if these mergers with Time Warner and AOL don't happen, and Ted Turner keeps control of his empire. Yeah, WCW is probably on today, regardless of how they're doing financially. Yeah, because he was so loyal and he just got a kick out of wrestling. Yeah, and he had a big enough business and he owned the Braves and he owned CNN and it was just like whatever. I don't give a shit. Like, well, if I'm, fl- I mean, they didn't make money until last year, 1995. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he kept him on that long, there's no reason to think that he they wouldn't still be on if Ted Turner was the one who was making those decisions. Yeah, I mean, the, the very earnest uh, comments that Bischoff made about, like, if he could turn a $1 profit, it would be a huge success. And I think legitimately it would have been a huge success in Ted Turner's eyes, too, because there was so much lost uh, investment in that. But like you said, he was, like, such a big fan. He's such a big sports fan that he didn't care. As long as he had, like, his own wrestling promotion, that's all he really... That's all that really mattered to him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's going to do it uh, for this week. We'll see you next week. We're going to uh, find out what it's like to live with I- in a Hoganless world for a little bit. I'm, and I don't even mean it in a way where like to shit on Hogan. I'm excited because he's such a focal point. Mm-hmm. I'm just interested to see the creative direction for a little bit where he is is not the focus. That should be fun. Yeah, and I, I, I'm genuinely interested in how I feel, how everything turns out of his return um, with the NWO and everything like that. If, if, because I don't know if I, like the, the few weeks leading up to that, if I was watching as religiously, so I don't know if it, if it's going to feel like, oh, wait, Hogan's back again already. That's right. Like a, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, we are going to find out, and we hope that you find out with us right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. Mm, the last time I saw somebody getting the boots put to him like that, his name was Rodney King, and he was just begging everybody, can we just get along? 